0: But in every he- healthy church, there is a spirit of giving. Do you have an example of that? I'm glad you asked. Turn in your Bibles, and we're going to get back to Book of Ecclesiastes. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter number 4. Put your thumb in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Flip over to Acts chapter number 4 and verse 32 and following. And there in those verses, you will see an example of the early church and the spirit of giving that they had. Acts chapter 4 and verse 32, 34 and 37. It says, Now the large group of those who believed were of one heart and mind, and no one said that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. Now what that simply means is they shared everything. When it says they held everything in common, it means that no one took ownership of it. Every possession that they had, no one said those are my possessions. They shared all of those and they all had those in common. They shared everything that they had. In verse 34, it says, For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, And laid them at the apostles' feet. And this was then distributed for each person's basic needs. Joseph, called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field that he owned and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. What I'm trying to get you to see there is that in every healthy church, there is a giving spirit. And if Victory Church is going to be a healthy church, not only must we incorporate these other six habits that we have talked about and live those out intentionally on a daily basis in the ministry of our own personal lives and in the ministry of the church, but we must also live out the principle or the habit of stewardship in the area of giving. Guys, we must learn to live our lives with our hands wide open instead of our hands clenched like an infant that has just been born. Amen? I mean, you think about your children when you're, when you're raising your children. And, and that infant, that, that child that was born. And when it came out, its little fingers were all... And it had little fists, didn't it? Well, you know what the mindset of that child was? It's mine. It's all about me. It's mine, mine, mine. I'm not turning loose. It's all about me. As a matter of fact, whenever they're an infant and we put them in their little cribs, there'll be those times in the, in the evening at night when they'll just all of a sudden start crying. Right? And you run in there thinking the world has just come to an end or something drastically has happened to this child. And as soon as you get there, it looks up at you and it just smiles. There was really nothing wrong with that child. It just wanted some attention. Why? Because it's all about me at that stage in life. Amen? Matter of fact, when they're small, when they're infants, what are one of the things that we do with our, those babies? We'll get their little fingers and we'll open them up, won't we? Right? I mean, that's what I did with ours when they were born. I opened them up and I wanted to count the fingers and I wanted to see that they were working properly. But as soon as I let go of the fingers, they were back clenched. And you know what really our life goal is when we're raising our children? It's getting them to learn how to live. Instead of a clenched fist life where it's all about me, we're trying to raise them with biblical principles so that they can grow up and become mature Christian adults that learn how to live with their hands wide open. Amen? It's... And I want you to understand, it doesn't matter how old you are, on whether your hands are clenched or open, what really matters is how spiritually mature you are. You see, because I know some folks that are hit in their 40s that are still living life just like this. It's all about me. It's all about me. You see, guys, until we learn the principle of just that life is to be lived with our hands wide open, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Only then can we live a healthy Christian life. And only then can we have a healthy Christian church. Amen? So today I want to talk to us just briefly, just for a few moments. And I want to try to help us today from God's Word. And we're going to flip back to Ecclesiastes chapter number 5. I want to try to help us look into God's Word today and see if we can glean an eternal perspective on the area of giving. Okay? Now... Whenever I talk about stewardship, I want you to understand there's many more areas than just the finances and giving. Matter of fact, stewardship just means a manager, and each one of our banners have a verb, and that's something that we act out. It's something that we do, and our stewardship banner, once we get it in and it correctly fixed, it's going to say stewardship at the top, but the word down the side is going to be manage. In other words, we're simply just managing our life because... There's four words in every stewardship message, every stewardship series that I have ever preached as long as I have ever known myself as a preacher preaching. Whenever I mention stewardship, there's four words that I use. Do you know them? God owns it all. He owns it all. He owns everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and he owns the the old country preacher back home. You say the taters under the hill. Amen. He owns it all. You say, well, no, no, I work for that. No, no, no. God's blessed you with that. He's given you the ability to work. He's blessed you with that house. He's blessed you with that car. He's blessed you with that job. He's blessed you with that car. He's blessed you with that education. He's blessed you with the ability to do those things. Everything belongs to God. And we're just His managers. Right? So today I want to unpack a little bit and talk a little bit about an eternal perspective in the area of Giving. So before I go any farther, let's just go to the Lord in prayer and ask the Lord to open up our hearts and our minds today as we receive His Word. Father, we stand in need of You this hour. God, we are nothing without You. And as the song that we sang earlier, we cry out for You. We are desperate for You. We are so lost without You. And God, I just pray that You would now bless in the reading in the preaching, in the hearing, and in the applying of the Word of God today. I pray that you would take these words that I'm going to say and that the Holy Spirit would take these thoughts and some of these principles and apply them to our hearts and to our lives. Hide me behind the shadow of the cross. May your people hear what thus saith the Lord today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I've got good news and I've got bad news in the area of money. Which one do you want to hear first? Well, let me share with you the bad news. I want us to go into the book of Ecclesiastes, to what the Bible records for us as one of the wisest men that ever lived, and his name was Solomon. Solomon was a great scholar. He was a very intellectual man, he was a man with tremendous wisdom. He was a writer, and he just penned many thoughts and many principles, and we find those in the book of Proverbs and also in the book of Ecclesiastes. He was the world's wisest man. Everyone wanted to come and hear what Solomon had to say. I mean, he was a celebrity of his day. Whenever Solomon lived, and you mentioned that you were going to see Solomon, everybody oohed and awed over the fact that you were getting some face time with the wisest man that ever lived. I mean, he was a very wealthy man, and he was a very wise man. Now, the Bible tells us that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines, and whenever I read that, I can't help but question his wisdom. Amen. (laughs) Can you imagine men managing a thousand women? Hello? Woo, how exhausting he must have been. No, I'm just kidding, ladies. 700 wives. I'm really not. 700 wives. 300 concubines. Also, we read that he had 40,000 horse stalls. He had tons of gold. He had tons of silver. He was the Bill Gates of his day. I mean, you name it, he had it. But one of the things that he really excelled in was the area of wisdom and wealth. And let's take note in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 some of the principles that Solomon unpacks for us in the area of wealth. From the wealthiest man there is, with the greatest wisdom that's ever been given to any one man, so we believe, here's what he has to say. Now, I'm going to share with you the scripture reference. And I'm going to share with you what the scripture says. And then I'm going to give you a paraphrase of that. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse number 10, it says, Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves money never has money enough. In other words, the more you have, the more you want. Now think about that. The more money you have, the more you want. Let's go a little farther. The latter part of that verse says, Ecclesiastes 510 b whoever has wealth is never satisfied with his income. In other words, the more you have, the less satisfied you are. In verse number 11, Ecclesiastes 5, the first part of it, it says, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. Think about that. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. What does that mean? It simply means the more you have, the more people, including the government, are going to come after it. Hello? Is it any surprise to us that politicians today, and I don't care if it's Republican or Democrat, is it any surprise to us that, the, that they want to raise taxes? Scripture teaches that. And it says, as goods increase, so do those who come after them or consume them. The latter part of verse number 11, it says, What benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? We're talking about the wealth. We're talking about a lot of money. What benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? In other words, they sure look good, but that's about it. Because the more you have, you realize it really doesn't meet your needs. All you can do is look at it. It's not going to meet any deep felt need in your life. In verse number 12, it says, The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. You know what that says? It says the more you have, the more you have to worry about. Wow! Do you realize Scripture had all this to say about wealth? In verse number 13, The scripture says, I have seen a grievous evil under the sun. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner. Now notice it does not say to the harm of other people. Wealth hoarded to the harm of who? The owner of the wealth. In other words, the more you have, the more you have to hurt yourself with. Now these are just principles. Straight from the Word of God. And I think in my little paraphrase, I am not doing an injustice to the Scripture and just unpacking what the Scripture is teaching. Look in verse number 15. It says, naked a man comes from his mother's womb. And as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. Paraphrase is, you can't take it with you. Right? Have you ever been to a funeral home and seen a hearse behind or, or seen a U-Haul behind the hearse going out to the grave. You can't take it with you. You're going to leave it all behind one day. Look in verses, or Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 10 and verse 11. These two verses of Scripture. Solomon said, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work. And this was the reward of my labor. Now there, Solomon admits it. He said, I refuse my heart no pleasure. I I did not refuse myself, not one thing. Anything my heart wanted to, do, I'd had it. And I did it. Which is one of the reasons he had a thousand women. That was part of his downfall, if you will. No pun intended, seriously. I don't ever think that was God's plan for Solomon to have 700 wives and 300 concubines because back in Genesis, in the early part of the scripture, it says that there's to be one man and 700 women. No, one woman. So I think Solomon even broke one of the principles of God, even in him having multiple wives. You say, well, that's how it was in the biblical days. Yes, yeah, it was. Don't mean it's right. Hello? David had multiple wives. Was it right? No, it wasn't right. That wasn't God's purpose and intent for his life, but that's how it was in the biblical days. did not make it right. You see, a lot of times we bring that theology into our world today and say, well, that's what the world is today. It doesn't make it right. Well, everybody's doing it. It doesn't make it right. Hello? He said, I I refuse my heart no pleasure. And that's what a lot of people do today. Just simply, it's all about me. And I'm not going to refuse my heart any pleasure whatsoever. It's all about me. In verse number 11, he says, Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I, what I had toiled to achieve. That's his summary statement. This is his conclusion. When he saw everything that he had accumulated. When he saw all that his hearts had desired. And he brought all of that together. His summary statement is this. In verse 11, chapter 2. Everything was meaningless a chasing after the wind nothing was gained under the sun so what's the bad news the bad news is this guys money cannot and will not buy you happiness that's the bad news here's a man that had it all and he said when i got to the end of my life i realized it's it's nothing it's vanity it's chasing after the wind Everything was meaningless. Nothing was gained under the sun. With all of Solomon's privileges, with all of Solomon's possessions, with all of Solomon's popularity, with his social status, he experienced disillusionment to the grandest scale. It's all vanity. And God's now this is not an anti-money or anti-things message. But if that's all we're living for... I'm here to tell you that you're going to wind up a sad creature, right? Solomon, his summary statement was, it's all vanity. Well, here's the good news. And I think it's really, really good news to Solomon's dilemma. And it's found over in the Gospel of Matthew. If you want to turn there, I'm going to to be in a lot of different scripture today. But in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21, here is where we can find the good news about wealth, about money. Now this was spoken by Jesus. And this is what he had to say about wealth and about money. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through verse 21. He says, Don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Verse 20. But collect for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, And where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now guys, those are very powerful words. Let's look at that real quickly and let's try to unpack it just a little. And what Christ is saying about that is that earthly treasures will not last. You see, the treasures that you have on this earth, there's two things that will take place with those. One of the two things will take place. Either they will leave you or you will leave them. One of the two are going to take place with all of your earthly treasures. They will leave you or you will leave them. Many have experienced they, the treasures, leaving them over the last few years. Have they not? And when it came down to the end of the way, those individuals, many of them committing suicide, many of them falling into deep, deep discouragement, many of them losing their families. Why? Because everything in their life was built around the treasure that they were gaining. They were gaining. One of two things are going to happen. The treasures are going to leave you or you will leave the treasure. What am I talking about there? Death. You're not going to take it with you. But the good news is That Jesus said, yeah, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. That's the good news. Now, think about that. That's profound. I can't take it with me, but I can at this point in my life send it on ahead. And that's the good news that I think he's trying to get for us. So real quickly this morning, let me give you five keys to the principle of 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 treasure to the treasure principle, let me give you five keys real quick. Jot this down, if you will. Number one, we've already know, we've already alluded to this, we already know this. But key number one is God owns it all, everything, and I'm just simply His money manager. God owns it all, and I'm just simply His money manager. That's it. Psalm 24, listen to what the Lord is saying. Psalm 24, verse 1 The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. Leviticus 25 and 23 says, the Lord says, the land is mine and you are aliens and tenants of the land. Are you getting the message? God is trying to teach his people that everything that we enjoy on this earth belongs to him. He's saying it's mine. Every bit of it is mine and you're nothing but a tenant. You may say, well, I'm paying for it. Yeah, but who's giving you the ability? Who's giving you the talents? Who's giving you the strength? Who's giving you the health? If your health leaves, you'll not pay for it any longer. Hello? Guys, do you realize that your heart, do you realize that God knows every t- time your heart beats? As a matter of fact, I believe He commands your heart to beat. matter of fact, it beats one time. Boom, boom. The heart looks up. Lord, one more time. One more time. Boom, boom. Lord, one more time. One more time. Boom, boom. Amen? And when it stops, you're done. Or if you start having problems, complications, you're going to have a hard time paying for that. So the point I want you to understand is this. We may pay for it, but it's God blessing us with health. It's God blessing us with jobs. It's God blessing us and giving us all these things so that we... It's all His is the bottom line. Amen? God owns it all, everything. And stewardship is about the fact that I am just simply a manager. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18 says, Remember the Lord your God... For it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. It is He who gives you the ability. So key number one, God owns it all. Key number two, jot this one down. Now this one is thought-provoking, to say the least. My heart, get this, my heart always goes where I put God's money. My heart always goes where I put notice I didn't put in my notes my money because we've already established the fact it's not mine it's God's I'm just a manager of his money so my heart will always go where I put God's money remember the verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 12 it says the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep why is that It's because the heart only feels safe when the heart's treasures are safe. Hello? The point I'm trying to make is this. Whatever you invest in, that's where your heart's going to be. The Scripture says in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, I've heard people make the statement, wherever your treasure is, reveals where your heart is. Now that's true. And that's what Scripture's teaching. But it also reveals the direction that your heart is going. You see, your heart may not wind up there yet, but if you keep investing in it, your heart will be there. Because wherever I direct the Lord's money in my life, my heart is attached to that, and it will be going that direction. Amen? Are you tracking with me this morning? So in other words, all we have to do is just look, where are we investing the Lord's money? If I went, just for the sake of an example. If I went, I don't own any of this stock, but let's just say that I went and I invested stock or money in, let's say, Microsoft. I don't know why I would do that being a Mac guy, but I go and I invest in Bill Gates. Okay? Now, before I invest $1 in Bill Gates, the months and the years prior to that, I never picked up the newspaper to see where the stocks were for Microsoft. But the day that I invest $10 in Microsoft, the very next day now, I'm looking to see what the stocks are in Microsoft. Why? Because where I put my money is where my heart's going. Hello? Say I invest in in General Motors. I may never care about General Motors until the day that I invest in General Motors. And when I bought stock in General Motors, from that day forward now, I'm concerned about General Motors. As a matter of fact, I'll be telling my friends, buy a GM. If you're going to go buy don't go buy a Toyota for other reasons. <laughs> I don't care. Go buy whatever, you know. But if I invest in General Motors then I'm going to be trying to influence everyone around me to invest in General Motors. Why? Because i put a few dollars over there. And wherever my dollars go, whenever the Lord's money goes, wherever we place that is where our heart is going. Some people say, boy, I just wish I had a passion for the church like you had a passion for the church. I wish I had a heart for the lost like some have a heart for the lost. I wish I really had a heart for God like some people that I know that have a heart for God. You want me to tell you how you can get a heart for the lost? You mean tell you how you can get a heart for God? You mean tell you how you can get a heart for the church? You know where I'm going? Invest your dollars there. When you start investing your dollars there, your heart will follow and you will now be concerned about the well being of the church. Why? Because you're vested in it. Hello? Now, that's just a principle that we pull from God's Word. That's just not me up here trying to make a sales pitch. That's what God's Word says. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But wherever we invest in our treasures, our heart is headed that direction. Okay? That's why we should be careful where we put the Lord's money. Key number three. Jot this one down. This is what you need to understand. Heaven, not the earth, is my home. Heaven, not here, is my home. In Hebrews 11, verse 13 through 16, the Bible says this. These all died in faith. And this is the great roll call of faith chapter, Hebrews chapter number 11. And it says that they all died. By the way, we're all going to die one day. The Bible says it's appointed and the man wants to die and after that the judgment. Two things will happen to you in this life. You will die and you will be judged. Bank on it. Amen? They all died in faith without having received the promises. But they saw them from a distance and they greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You know what the writer of Hebrews is trying to unpack for us? That this place we call earth, and wherever it is we lay our head at night, that's not our real home. That's just a temporary residence. This world is not my home. If we're a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ... Then we're just aliens, we're just foreigners, we're just strangers, we're just taking a temporary residence here. This is not our home. Heaven is our home. That's where we're all going one day, that no cross as our personal Lord and Savior. So don't get so caught up in this world that you're of no heavenly use whatsoever. Let me give you an illustration. Let's just say that, let's just say that you're from France. And you travel over to America. And you live in a hotel room here in America. The rule is you cannot take one material, physical possession with you when you return back to France. You're going to be here, let's say, 80 days here in the United States. Your homeland is France. You're here. You're in a hotel room. You're going to live here 80 days. You cannot take one thing back to France with you. When you go back, you get on an airplane by yourself and just the clothes you have and you head back to France, that's it. But we do make an exception. You can wire money back to France while you're here. While you're here for those 80 days and you have a job here, you can wire some money back, but you can't send anything material back to France. You got the picture. Let me ask you a question. You're living in this hotel room. Would you fill that hotel room with extravagant, tremendously expensive material things? Would you go out and buy the most expensive whatever type of ride that you could ride in? You can't take it. with 80 days, it's over. You're leaving it here. Every expensive wall hanging, every whatever it is that you're purchasing, and you may be decorating inside that hotel room. You're leaving. Would you go buy a bunch of that stuff? How about you college guys? The smart ones in our bunch over here. Would you guys invest in any of that? No. Why? You can't take it with you. The point is, why do we get so consumed in this life and in this world with stuff that we know we can't take with us? But we can invest and send it on the head and that's the good news. So here's the point I want you to get. This place that we call home here on this earth is just a temporary residence. Don't get so caught up in this place that you're of no heavenly good whatsoever. Let's send our treasures on ahead where Jesus said where moth does not corrupt and thieves do not break through and steal where well, we put our treasures in heaven. Okay? Key number four. Jot this one down. Giving is the only antidote to materialism. A giving heart, a giving spirit is the only antidote to materialism. In First Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, it says, But those who want to be rich fall into a temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. Wow, what a verse. For the love of money. In your Bibles, you need to underline that. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Now guys, I don't want you to get the impression that money, that this is a anti wealth, anti material thing sermon. It isn't. You see, I believe God can bless you. I believe he can bless you financially. I believe He can bless you in material things of this earth. Every good and perfect gift comes from comes from above. Can we say amen right there? There's nothing wrong with you having a nice house and nothing wrong with you having a nice car as long as you keep everything in priority and as long as your goal in life is not to love money to the to the extent where you push God out of your life and you live for the almighty dollar. Okay? Giving is the only antidote to materialism. In 1 Timothy 6, and verse 18 and 19, it says, Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share. Matthew 6, 19, 20, and 24. Don't collect for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But collect for yourselves treasures in heaven. And then he says in verse 24, you cannot be slaves of God and slaves of money. Key number five. Jot this one down. I'm done. God prospered prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. And we know that God provides for the giver. Malachi chapter 3, verse number 10. It says, bring the four-tenth into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house Test me in this way, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing on you without measure. The Scripture also says in Luke 6 and 38, the Lord says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And the point I want to make in this passage of Scripture is that God blesses those who give. So what are you doing in the area of stewardship? How is your area in giving? Matter of fact, in some of the take-home notes that I put in your sermon notes, I put in there the principle that we have tried to live by and that we've tried to teach our children as they were growing up and that I just want to encourage you to look at and pray about in your family. And it's the ten ten eighty principle. Of every dollar you make, tithe that first ten percent. Save another ten percent. And live on eighty. And then as God blesses you more and more, you may realize in one day that, you know, it doesn't take eighty percent for me to live on anymore. I may now can live on seventy. And I may now can give more. And then once you start giving more, you may realize hey, I, I can I don't need seventy. I can live on sixty. And I can give 30. And I can save 10. There's a man that you well know of that lived by that principle. When he started his own little business, he said, I am going to tithe off the profits of my business. I am going to give 10% to my local church. And I am going to save 10% that my business makes. And we're going to live and manage our personal life as well as our business on the 80%. And God started blessing this man. And then he realized, well, I don't need 80% anymore. I can live on 70 So he gave his local church 20%. And he saved 10%. And he lived on 70 And he kept getting blessed. And his business kept growing. And he started going multi sot with his business, other locations. And he realized, I don't need 70%. I can live on 50%. And he gave away 40%. And he saved 10%. And God kept blessing him. And this was a Christian man. And then he got to the point, I don't even leave 50%. And he got all the way down on, I can live on 10%. And he gave away 80%. And he saved another 10%. You say, how in the world that that happens when you trust God and you allow Him to bless you? You know this man. You've been in his stores. You've bought some of his clothing. His name was J.C. Penny. This suit came from Penny's. I like to shop there. Because that's a Christian man that built a business on Christian principles and values, and that's where I want to invest. Hello? Guys, you say, I just don't believe that happened. In Luke chapter 6, it says, if you will give, it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. But then he gives a disclaimer. But the measure for with the measure you use, it will be measured back. In other words, in the proportion that you give is the proportion that you're going to give, get back. And that's what Scripture says. So I want to challenge you. Maybe you're here and maybe you've never tithed. I want to encourage you to start. And I've heard people sometimes give what I think is horrible counsel. I've heard people, I've heard Christian men and Christian people. Great intentions, horrible theology say something like this well if you can't start at 10% just start somewhere and give 3 and then work up to 4 or 5 or 6 I think that's horrible that's horrible counsel that's horrible advice because the Lord says 10% you see what somebody just told you was you keep 7% of God's money and just give him 3% and he'll bless you no he won't that's disobedience I wonder today As we've just spoke On just one area of stewardship And that's just the area of giving And God's Many of you are very, very Oh, super giving people And it's no wonder God has blessed you the way He has And I just want to encourage you To keep, keep living that way People are watching Your influence influencing other people And God wants to use you as a testimony to the world of how if you keep giving, I'm going to keep blessing so you can be an example to others. Keep doing that. Many of you have given over and over and over again to the work of this ministry over the past 11 years. And I just want to say thank you for the giving that you've given financially so that our church can grow and do what we've been able to do. No way we could do it without you. Some though may be here today, and you maybe have already accepted Christ as your Savior, but you really haven't turned over the area of your finances to the Lord. May I just give you some some wise counsel from Scripture? Just give it to God. Start today, this week, when you get your paycheck, give God 10% right off the top. Right off the gross. People have asked me before in counseling, should I tithe on the net or should I tithe on the gross? And I always ask this question: Who do you want to honor first? Do you want to honor the government or God? I choose to honor God, so therefore I've always tithe off the gross. Just give to God, and He'll bless you. And maybe you haven't been doing that. If you have not been doing that, I want to ask you: Look around in your own life financially. That may be all you need to do to realize I need to start tithing. And I know money's tied, and I know we're in a, a recession, so to speak. But, guys, I still promise you, you can't outgive God. You honor Him, and He'll bless you. Just decide today and purpose in your heart that you're going to honor the Lord and you're going to give to God bless you. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, that's where it begins. Give your heart to God. Allow Him to be the Lord of your life. Live by His principles. Accept Him as your personal Savior. Father, in this time of invitation, as we reflect on the area of giving in our lives, I ask you, Lord, that you would just speak to all of our hearts. God, that you would finger around in our hearts. God, you would just help us in the area of our finances to give you what's rightfully yours. Father, I just pray that you'd bless those that give and for those that look at their finances and say, I just can't afford to, help them to realize they can't afford not to. This time we commit this invitation to you. Father, if there's someone in our midst that doesn't know you as their Lord and their Savior, I pray that right now they'd open up their hearts and receive you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.